I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'll take you for a ride on the devil's ship. I'll take you for a ride where you sink or swim. Now come with me and let this story begin. Dr. Lori. Welcome. Hi, thank you. This is exciting. I'm so happy to be here. Really excited. Is it too early to talk about sex? It's never too early to talk about sex. But I want to hear. But (laughs) but what I want to know first, how did you get your start into radio? How did you decide, you know what? These are topics everyone wants to talk about. I'm not just going to answer questions at the clinic. Let me get on there. How did that happen? So this this happened a long time ago, probably before you were born, I would think. Um... I started as a social worker. I was, you know, helping people and and what have you. And then I went and did some training in uh, sex therapy. So I did a training program and I was working for a clinic. The Montreal General Hospital had a human sexuality clinic. And one day in walks Rick Moffat of, uh, at the time, he was just a co-host or he was a host on Mix 96, which was then Mix 96, now Virgin. And uh, he, they had a show once a week called The Love Line. I don't know if you remember that. I remember you were little, probably yeah. a kid. I was a kid, right? but because that's when I listened to radio. Okay, yeah. so that back then it was like a lot of youth listening and what have you, and they were turning a show into like they wanted to deal with sexual topics, which was a very innovative, right? It was like, wow, this is really good. So he came to the clinic and asked who wanted to do it. And I said, hey, I was I was like 24, 25 years old. I said, I'm going to do it. Like, I, I'd love to do it. So I did that. That's how I got my start in radio. I never aspired to be on radio. It was never anything that I was looking for, but just so happened like that. And then... Um, was it meant to be a long run or were they just trying to test it? Oh, no, no. This went on for, I did it for nine years. No, no, like you this, did it for nine, but it, was that it the intention went, initially? Did I think it was the intention was, uh, you know, I really don't know. Like, did they think it was going to fly? Did they think that we weren't booted off the air or anything? It became like a cultish kind of show where yeah. you had young people, maybe you did this with your friends, but trying to stump us, you know, st- oh, let's, no, stump, I never, <laughs> let's stump the therapist. Too much effort. They, they would ask like crazy questions and, and what have you, and they would giggle in the background. You could tell like there were little groups of, you know, uh, people trying to do that. So I did that for nine years, consent, like for, you know, once a week, what have you, and we were on a rotating basis with a couple of other therapists. And then Rick Moffat ended up going to CJD, the sis- our sister station, and he was hired as the program director there for a short time. I don't remember how many years, but, uh, and then he decided he was going to shake things up and put on, he says, how about doing a sex show on CJD? And that was like, oh, okay. So he asked me if I wanted to do it. And if I wanted my own show, I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And initially we started once a week. And then very soon, like three months in, we started doing it on a nightly basis. And I didn't think it was going to, like, I thought, this is a conservative station. Like, yeah. you know, maybe I'm, uh, I don't know what's going to happen when I start talking about, you know, anal sex and threesomes and whatever else. Cause I, I was going to talk about everything. I said, if I'm going on the air, I'm going to talk about everything. And they had no issues with it. They had no issue. I have never, I was never censored there. They, as, Listen, I'm a professional, yeah. right? I'm a, I'm a doctor of psychology. I come to it with evidence-based information. Like, it's, this is not just salacious, you if know. If anyone's going to talk about anal, it's, it's got to be you. Right, there yeah. you go, right? So because of that, uh, so I thought, okay, how long is this going to last, right? So every year it would be like, ooh, am I going to get hate mail? Am I going to, like, are they going to get hate mail, whatever? It didn't happen. The only thing were complaints about billboards. We had, when we were promoting the show, we had these huge billboards on to carry that said, honk if you're horny. Listen is to that. Is that what they complained about? <laughs> and, that, and they were complaining, like, how do I explain horny to my kids, right? It was, so that was the big complaint. I said, well, listen, there's a discussion to be had right there, right? So yeah, and then that's how the show began and, and it lasted on air for 22 years. We celebrate 22 years on the radio every single night. Did you ever get a question that you were like, how is an adult asking me this? Well, yes. It, it, I mean, listen, there's a, you know, and when it comes to the population, there's a range of people who have either very limited information or a lot of information. Okay. So, 
it is surprising how often I get questions with like some very, very basic questions, you know, where like really basic stuff. Like you're wondering, didn't you learn about this in school? Or like stork related questions, or, like, <laughs> like stork related questions. Exactly. Like sometimes really, uh, and I get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of emails and, and we got, uh, then we started moving into text messages. And so people like, it's a constant, it was a constant, uh, uh like, like an evolution. Ro- yeah. yeah. And, and a constant, uh, rollout of questions and people sending in questions and stuff. So it's all, it was always fascinating to me because I got to see what people are actually asking and want to know about. And so that would sometimes influence, okay, what topic am I going to do now? What guest am I going to have so that we can elaborate more on the subjects that people wanted to hear about? Uh, the reality is, look, sometimes I talked about things a lot, only few people wanted to hear about. You know, some of the stuff was like, ah, I don't want to hear it. You know, it's like too much information for me. Or it made, you know, how many times people said, oh, you made me blush or or this topic made me blush or whatever. But yes, the whole point was talking about sexuality in a very, um, you know, kind of a nonchalant way. It's part of life yeah. and uh, taking away that shame. Kind of not making people feel like they had to be red in the face talking about uh, a topic that everybody wonders about. Everybody does it. Everybody wonders about it. So it's been amazing to be able to reach so many people over the years and really educate. And did you, when when you got into, let's say, psychology, were you thinking of specializing in sex and sexuality? Is that something that came later? What did you... Like, what motivated you in the beginning? Was it the taboo of sex and how I feel like a lot of people aren't educated in this, let me get into it? Or was it people and then sex came later? Like, what was it that was the driving force? So that's a good question because when I was a social worker, I started working in the area of sexual abuse. I started for some reason, a lot of people started coming to me who were, had been molested and what have you. And I started to see the evolution of sexuality. Like, what happens when somebody's sexuality is so um, stunted in a way and and traumatized to see how it evolves in adult sexuality? And that's what got me really interested. Yeah, in that it. could destroy you. Right. Exactly. So that was the that that was like my first foray into it. And when I was um, doing my degree in social work, I had a teacher who was teaching a sexuality class, and it was. The way she talked about it, she inspired me. Dr. Carol Christensen, shout out to her. But she inspired me. And then I went to see, like, okay, I wanted to know how did she do her training. And so I went to the same trainer that she did. And then that's how it all began. And then eventually I moved into doing my uh, degrees, at least my graduate degrees in psychology. So then I just became just more and more of a specialist. And now I specialize in marriage therapy and sex and marital counseling and and things like that. So, have you seen a change in people? Have you seen problems that used to exist that don't, or yes. stuff that was not a problem and now, yeah? That's a great question because when I was a young, a young uh, sex therapist, so you're talking about, let's say, in my, you know, before I even reached thirty, the average guy that would come to the clinic with erectile dysfunction was like sixty-five, you know, an older guy, and, and things like that. Today, I don't even see those guys anymore. Today, your average guy that comes uh, with erectile dysfunction is in his early third, late twenties to early thirties. Is it real erectile dysfunction, it's or do real, they think it is? It's real, but it's based psychological. It's psychologically induced, right? So what I'm seeing more of that I never saw, let's say, thirty years ago, is like performance anxiety, like serious performance anxiety in very young men. So I, I see men in their early twenties with performance anxiety, that, and I I blame a few things. First of all, there's pornography, right? So there's a lack yeah. of sex education to talk about pleasure, to talk about all the things that you need to know what real sex is. Then you have accessibility to porn, uh, which I don't. Have, it's not an issue that I have with pornography. It's more about the early exposure to it and the continuous exposure to it before you even have sex. So by the time you meet up with a real life person, you're thinking like there's all these ideas in your head of how it should be, how she should respond, how I should be, how I should look, how she should look. And, and so that creates so much stress and just anxiety about like, Oh my God, am I going to get this right? Is, is, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to, you know, rather than looking at it as a holistic experience and, and what have you, they're just looking at it as I just got to get this right. Yeah. This is what I'm seeing on screen. I have to try to mimic it. And if it's not the exact same thing, there must be a problem. Am I the problem? Am I exactly? We've had to- topics about this on other podcasts. We've talked about, I had a theory a while ago. I said, I feel like porn in just how it's so easily accessible 
he's going to ruin an entire generation. And someone commented recently and said, uh, you're wrong. It already ruined a current generation. And there was articles about right. uh, young kids. Back in the day in university, that's when people would have a lot of sex, college, university. Mm -hmm. And now men especially are staying virgins till they're in their later. 30s. And apparently so it's related to this. It's Well, there's more than that because it, it's true. If you look at the research, in the last few years, sex has gone down. In other words, the frequency of sex, people having sex has gone down. The age of first intercourse has, uh, has gone up. So before it was like 16 and a half. Now it's a little older. There's a, a few reasons for this. First of all, people aren't socializing as much. You know, before, you'd go out, you'd go to a bar, you'd meet Me somebody, you'd start dating, you'd hook up, whatever it was. Now people are behind a computer. So... So they're a more lazy, they are socializing less, they are not learning the skills they need to socialize as well. That's, I think, a, a big part of the problem. They get horny, they're not looking for people, they just go online. I'm horny, you know? Yeah. Dick in hand, little yeah, screen yeah, yeah. time, I'm good, right? I don't have to, I, I don't have to work so hard. But then it becomes mechanical, your brain gets used to, oh, this is how yeah. I relieve this. Exactly. This yeah. is, I don't, I don't have to work so hard. It's like if you had McDonald's downstairs and you had a, a drive-thru and every time you were hungry, all you had to do is go to the drive-thru and never cook yourself a meal, you know, you get lazy. And, you, end and, up, uh, and you end up fat. Yeah, yeah. and getting poison. <laughs> that stuff's poison. Po yeah. Exactly. So this is what ends up happening, right? So that's part of it. Part, another part of it is that kids are staying home longer. So the, you know, it's very expensive to be out there. It's very expensive to leave home. And so kids stay at home because they stay at home. They're not comfortable having sex with their parents at home. That makes you sense. You know, so there's all kinds of reasons, not one reason. And I would never blame porn for anything directly. Oh, yeah, it can't just be one. It, it can't yeah. be because porn has been around forever. It's just the, it's the access to it and the frequency of it and where and, you know, how... It's like it just makes us more lazy is really what it is. So I think we're going to have a generation of people who don't know how to properly socialize. Like how do you learn how to engage with somebody that you're interested in? You know, you learn it, you learn it in vivo, like in real life. So. I'm wondering if the repercussions for this are just, so obviously the birth rate would likely start plummeting because people aren't that's having, happening, that's happening right? already. Mm -hmm. But health-wise... There's also a, an aspect of it, even if you're not having sex, just to socialize, just to speak with people, to hang out, that we need, isn't there? Like, I, I feel good after I've spoken to some people, I've done some shows, I see, if I'm alone too long behind the screen, it's you, you, I start getting depressed, like, I feel like, ah, there's something missing, and yeah. that what's missing yeah. is that interaction. Yeah. Aren't these kids, isn't this also going to lead to depressed, more than yes. just erectile dysfunction, right? Yes, well, we've seen that. So the research is showing that we have a generation uh unseen, unprecedented of the number of young people suffering from an anxiety disorder. People on, uh, you know, on anti-anxiety or, or uh, antidepressant medication. So, of course, all of this is affecting, uh, it has repercussions, you know. Uh, we don't just have a COVID pandemic. We have yeah. a pandemic of anxiety and mental health issues in young people. Well, what is directly responsible for that? I mean, there's many factors, but it, I think this human interaction that you're talking about, first of all, we're humans. Humans need interaction. This is a human need. And it's not the same to be just behind a keyboard and interacting with someone. You need the, you need to, the facial cues and the facial, uh, like the, the body language yeah. and the touch and all of these things. It's what feeds us as humans. Otherwise, we what are we, in, in cages alone and, and we just interact behind bars like at a zoo? Like it doesn't, it's you know. It's more robotic than that now it, the way we've made it. Yeah, yeah, it's quite robotic and we need to get back to, I don't know, like, you know, whether we learn to limit a screen time and, and understand now that we, we do need to get out and maybe find more, Exciting things too. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Exactly, oh, I don't either. But yeah. but it it has to start somewhere, and maybe with parents of kids who have to limit screen time and have to encourage outdoor living and and things like that. I, I'm with you on that. It's not one thing because just what you said right now made me think of something. It's so interconnected. So let's say we tell parents limit screen time, for example. But that's one aspect of it because yeah. now parents are more busy, especially everything's going, inflation's on the rise, everything costs more, you got to work more. So you're working more, you have act less actual time to spend with your kid. So there's less time you can actually dictate whether or not they're going to be on the screen or, and most likely they will yeah. be if they're alone. So it's a whole vicious cycle mm -hmm. of things that then causes us sitting here talking about, hey, what's going on with this generation? No one's social. Mm 
mm-hmm. but it's so big and so vast. It's, there's so many aspects to it. We can't solve it with one one answer. Yeah, no, it, it, and it has to be an effort made. I think at a social societal level, at a at a family level, on so many ways, and part of it is us talking about it and people just thinking and, and okay, what. What can we do, you know? And we have to give our kids the social experiences, especially older. Like, little kids are pretty social. You know, they go yeah. to daycare. They go to school. Like, they're okay. And they're curious. Yeah, and they're curious, and they and, and that's fine. But it's – I worry more about the adolescent who isolates him or herself, uh, you know, behind the screen and just – like, to me, that's more that's scarier because adolescence is already a difficult time. So Yeah, well, yeah. one of my nephews – He's, uh, he's 18 now, and he was very, you know, because of the pandemic, that just happened in the last two years, him turning into an adult, he was stuck inside the house, so behind the screen, school yeah. was behind the screen, all, and he started to just spend most time in his room playing video, so now we force him, basically, we'll bring him along, either since he's 18, to either a comedy show or here yeah. uh, in the studio, see what we're doing, sometimes he'll sit in on certain podcasts, just to get him out there, see people socialize, meet, because I'm great. trying to explain to him. It's super dangerous if you keep doing this. This isn't life. Chatting with everyone and never seeing them, it's not, you have to get out there, see how people really act, see what yeah. the world is really like. Sure, and instead yeah. of just playing, you know, D&D, right? And and online for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, and they they are socializing. They do, there is a social aspect to being online. It's but it's not supposed that, to be an additive, not replacing. Yeah, it replacing. shouldn't be the only thing they yeah. do. But Listen, for there are very shy individuals where the internet has been a savior, right? They are they make friends, they are connecting with other people and sometimes they meet like-minded people that they end up meeting in real life after. So it has been a a, a real like saving grace for a lot of people. It's just if we're looking at it as a generation as a whole, um I, I just think uh, that's the part that worries me the most is, is that are we going to lose those social skills that we need? What I, what I like about you, and I'm assuming this, I might be wrong, is you seem like the type of person that if, let's say, somebody comes to you with a problem such as erectile dysfunction, he's 20, 30, you're not going to right away be like, all right, here, take some pills. You're going to try to analyze, like, mm, it might not be. That's right. Okay, I like I, that. I mean, they lo- listen, guys come to me, they wish I could give them a pill. They're like, just give me a pill. I'll be good. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> let's look at, let's dig a little. Yeah. What's really going on here, right? And there's like, for most, most sexual problems are symptomatic of something else. So my job is to dig and look for the something else. It isn't uh, just, here, take this and, and let's let's deal with the symptom. They'll come back if you don't actually deal with the cause. So let's look at the cause of of what it is, you know, and whether it's erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation is also a big, big problem. That's a new big thing. It didn't used to be a big problem. It, it was always the a main problem for men. Um, the problem is sometimes it's not really a problem, but men think it's a problem. Okay. So they come, they they'll come to me and they'll say, "I have," a, you know, they'll self diagnose. I have I have premature ejaculation. I say, "Well, what does that mean?" to you, right? And they're like, well, I want it to take an hour. It only takes me 20 minutes. I said, that's not premature. Well, that's not premature. (laughs) 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 I'm just fucking with you. (laughs) So so most people don't even have the facts that 95% of guys ejaculate between two and five minutes of intercourse. I thought premature is like uh, you... you're not even Barely having sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what exactly. I, okay. So under 10 thrusts or, bef- you know, within uh, within a minute. A under strong a minute, wind. A strong <laughs> wind, yeah. Whoops. You know, uh, and for a lot of men, this is like, we're joking about it, but it's quite devastating. Uh, it's quite devastating. So part of it is the education piece, right? It's like, okay, like you're not going to last 20 minutes. And it most women don't want you to last 20 minutes because most women don't get there pleasure from intercourse anyway like they, they don't climax through intercourse they don't even know that 80 percent of women do not climax from intercourse 80 percent 80 percent they need clitoral stimulation so what you do with your mouth and what you do with your hands is far more important than what you do with your penis you're just wasting your time after a certain well it's like <laughs> but if you ask the the actual partners 
will they really care, right? So it depends. Obviously, if you're coming right before you, you, to enter or whatever, it, it is a problem and it causes some frustration. Yeah. But that too is related sometimes to performance anxiety, sometimes to uh, undiagnosed or diagnosed ADHD. You know, they get very distracted. And so so there's training things you can do to help uh, men with this and to, to prolong uh, their ejaculation, but it means getting in touch with your body and your sensations and knowing how your penis functions and uh, having realistic expectations for yourself. Oh, is that you think it's they're putting so much pressure on themselves? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like if they keep thinking, oh my God, oh my God, uh, I better last. Oh, what if I don't last? What if I don't last? Then they lose touch with their body when they do that. And then it's just like, oh shit, it just happened, you know, like without even realizing that it's happening. Instead of, Oh, I'm close. I'm close. Okay, if I'm close, I can stop. Take a few deep breaths. I can stop thrusting, you know, and then, okay, I'm, I'm focused. I'm focused. Like you're focusing on the sensations. A lot of guys think if they distract themselves, that helps them. Okay, I'll think about baseball. That'll be like, that'll distract me from coming. It's the opposite. Ah. It has the opposite effect. You have to actually be really focused on what you're feeling because when you feel that, you can start, you know, um, like just taking stopping, control. taking control. And there's a whole movement online too. If you look it up, like edging, for example, oh, edgy, yeah. <laughs> edging, right? It's like getting close, stopping, getting close. Like you just keep going to the edge and come back. So really that's what it's about. Teaching guys how to get to the edge, but not over the edge. I learned all about this through internet memes. <laughs> See? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Meme culture is good for that because you'll get little tidbits of information. You're like, is this a real thing? Right. And then, and then you, you research find, it. Right. Yeah. And then you find out what it is. A lot of times they'll just meme something that's a real topic. Right. Oh fuck! But I didn't think about the. Uh, I didn't think about how people will quantify it differently, so they'll misdiagnose the situation. Like that's that's so interesting. And then you have a weird situation to deal with. You like you have a problem. It's not premature ejaculation. <laughs> it's in your head. It's in your head. It's something else. <laughs> well, you know? and it's happened. Like it's not just for for men. By You're the way, you're gonna come like, at some point, dude. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, but but women will say will come in also self diagnose Say okay, I um I have a problem with orgasm. So then you know I have to ask like okay what's so they'll say, oh, yeah, I have no problem coming by myself with masturbation. So you don't have a problem with orgasm. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, but I, but I, don't, I don't come with sex. So you only have a, you think it's a problem with intercourse. So then I huh. tell them, but all women, most women don't orgasm with intercourse. Do you orgasm with oral sex? Yeah. Do you orgasm with this? Yeah. So you don't have a problem with orgasm. You have a problem knowing what turns you on and doing what it is that works for you. And now you have to communicate that to your partner. But just because you don't orgasm through intercourse is not does not make you like, the, like you have a problem. You don't have a dysfunction. The problem that is that you just haven't realized how your body works. That's right. Okay. You have to realize that that's not how, you know, you're going to have to work it, like get your clitoris involved in the intercourse if you want to have, if you want to come through in, through intercourse. So here's my question. Now I'm curious about something. So biologically, the way we're made, let's say, uh, you know, you get aroused, you get aroused. It's, we're kind of made even before we had society to know to have sex so that we can reproduce, right? As, right. as a species. So then how is it that 80% of women won't reach orgasm through intercourse when that would be the biological kind of, hey, let's go, put it in here so I could feel good. You get it? So that... It could force them to make babies. How, is this something that changed throughout the years? I, I don't think so. I think uh, I don't know if that's the the you know the animalistic thing, or I'm not sure what the answer is in terms of the evolution of the body. All I know is the clitoris is. I should have brought. I, ha, I have a three D model of it, and I should have brought it for you. But I know what it it's is. A, what, what is it? The clitoris. <laughs> yeah. What does it look like? I know what it looks like. <laughs> what does it look like? <laughs> Putting you on the spot. So it's a. It's actually a larger structure. You know that when we're in utero, we all start off as females. Yes, I know this. Okay. Yeah. So the structure of the clitoris is the same structure as the penis. So the clitoris has the part that the head of it, which is what you see. The ultra-sensitive, a lot of nerve yeah, endings. Yeah, exactly. But also full of nerve endings is the shaft of the clitoris. And then it goes in, and then it has these legs and these bulbs on the inside. So you can actually access the clitoris through the top part on the inside, right? Through the sides, right? So, But each of us, each woman, 
is different and needs a different kind of sensation. So some women like a light touch, other women like a lot of pressure. So with intercourse, for example, if you're just doing this, there's no touch to the clitoris, right? But if you're if you're if finding another position and you're putting pressure ah, on that yeah, part, yeah. now s- suddenly it feels different. Sorry for all the visuals, man. Oh. <laughs> this is what we're all about, right? Yeah. I should have brought my puppets. <laughs> do you use puppets? I do. I use, uh, I have a lot of props. I use, a, I have a vulva puppet. I have my, the wooden penis. I have other dildos, various dildos. I even have a silicone vagina to, you know, for some women who um, feel that their vaginas are really, really tight and there's no way a penis will ever go in it and I take it and I, I stretch it. I think that's how that works, yeah. Like, <laughs> do all that. Uh, so, yeah, I use a lot of props in, in my office just because it's an educational, like visuals help when, when we're, we're educating. Do you ever go to schools? Um, you know, I don't do the, I, I do, yes, I should, I, I, yes, I usually do CJAPs. So sometimes I'll do sexual health fairs. They'll bring me in, like I do a little booth, ask the sex doctor booth or whatever. And then I answer questions and that's where I'll bring all my props and uh, answer questions and stuff. So I do that. I, I'm part of an organization called the Sexual Health Network of Quebec as their president, but that's an organization that we we create stuff for schools. Like we create uh, to make education um, easier and, and, and tools for, for educating about sex. And we advocate. We're obviously an advocacy group for sex education in schools. Uh, we need more of that because when I was in high school, I've said this story before. I don't know if you've ever heard anything like this, but when I was in high school and it was not too far from here, we had uh, a male nurse who had come in. I remember this class because I had a guy behind me who uh, is an Armenian kid, but he would uh, he would he, he was in high school. He popped up Viagra, and I remember him hitting hitting the front of his desk with his. Anyway, it's a whole other story about oh that. Oh my god! But we'll get there in a second. But because I remember the the male nurse had the wooden penis and a banana, and he was showing like difference. He was trying to say how, how to, to put, put a condom on. Condom. But then he started saying, you know, in the I just don't want you guys to panic because we get a lot of weird things in the emergency room. And he said a story that I'm still convinced can't be true. He said, if ever you have sex in a pool, this is, this is a male nurse who's saying this. If ever you're having sex in a pool, uh, you might get stuck together. Stop calling the emergency room. Just finger the girl in the asshole. And I remember <laughs> everyone thinking, like, is this, what are we, like, is this something that happens? And it was kind of like, okay, now we're scared to have sex. Like, what's going, we're going to get stuck together. What's going on here? But I've never encountered anything like this in real life. It doesn't even make sense no. that you would get stuck together. But this is a nurse. This is a male nurse who told us this. Right. Well, you know, again. Yeah. It, is this to put fear in kids so they don't have sex? Yes. Sometimes it is. Like, just the same way that they, when they do sex ed, they show you all these gross pictures of what your penis will look like if you have this particular STD or, or I th- whatever. I didn't understand. I thought that you can, and I remember asking these questions. I was like, so if I have sex with someone that doesn't have an STD and I don't have an STD, can we then develop an STD? And they were like, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy the way it works. And I was like, holy no. shit. Yeah, it would scare the shit out of me. No. It would scare the shit, yeah. They they, they went fear-based yes. instead of just letting you know exactly. what's going on. Yeah. And that's the problem, I think, because when you just go fear-based, you're not taking into account that kids are going to do it. Like, teenagers are curious, yeah. and it's a natural part of our of our growth, right? Of our development to be sexually curious, experiment, and, and things like that. So much better off talking about pleasure, talking about consent, talk uh, talking about the risks, obviously, and talking about how to put on a condom and why you need to put on a condom and blah, 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 like, and creating scenarios, like if you get a girl pregnant, what happens, you know, I ha- once had this conversation with a 13-year-old, I think it was, and he, when I said, well, what would happen if you got a girl pregnant? And his immediate reaction was, well, she'll get an abortion. I said, really? She'll get an abortion. What if she says no? Yeah. You can force her. I will so wax now, the stairs, ma'am. I will find a, a way. <laughs> you know, now at 14 years old, you're going to be a daddy whether you want to or not. So it's not like, don't assume yeah. what's good for you is going to be good for her or that she's going to do what you think she's going to do. Also, right? you can't, st- if you, if the, uh, if instead of using a condom when you're 12, 14, whatever it is, you're just thinking, ah, I could just get an abortion. Abortions, I found out after it's it's not also good to keep having abortions for women too. It's for the re- not a it's, birth control measure. It's not a birth control measure. Right. I've been saying this for and, and so here's another thing I was thinking about. I don't know how you feel about it, but it would be interesting to get your um, perception on this. So because I know in Texas they're passing anti-abortion laws and all this stuff. So the, here's here's what I'm saying. Okay, you could be full. You might think there's no case for abortion, which is crazy because there's many cases for abortion. Uh, some of them is the most vile stuff. Imagine rape, rape or incest. okay, or you find out that. 
you're not prepared, you're not ready to be a parent or whatever. There's it a is. serious problem with the kid and you could totally bring it to birth, but it's going to have a terrible there's many reasons. Yes, many reasons. Let's say you don't want that. Why is it that we're not educating kids better in schools so that instead of them getting to a point where they're using abortion as a birth control <laughs> method, you've given them condoms. At least my school, they were good with condoms. You could go and you could grab them. They would give it to you. So educate them so that it doesn't get to that point instead of hiding it, whether it's because of religion or what, you don't want to talk about sex at all. And then you get them in these situations, especially little girls who are, are getting pregnant, where their life, you know, it hangs in the balance. Like, what do I do? But look at the problem. So in where you have places that want to restrict abortion access, you also, there are, these are also places that restrict sex education. But that's what I'm saying. Right. It doesn't make, so you, it doesn't you make can't sense. have. You, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. So you, you either need to educate about sexuality. Like if you don't want people to go for abortions in the first place, yeah. why don't you educate them that's what I say, so yeah. that they don't get pregnant, right? So in the, in the, in, and the research bears this out in the places where there's abstinence only education, sex education, there is more teen pregnancy rates. So it, it but yet, I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't get in. Like, that is the research. The research is clear yeah. that abstinence-only education doesn't work, but yet they keep sinking money into it or doing passing some of these these laws it, that are crazy. Just so. educate, and it won't happen because people will know. Like, oh, I don't need to get to that level. I could Because they're going to have sex. They're right. going to have, no matter what you say, they're going to have sex. At least keep them safe. That's and, right. uh, but again, because for little girls, if they start doing that when they're young, first of all, psychologically, I don't know what it does. I'm not, I'm not a little girl. I don't know what it would do to me if I'm like, fuck, right. uh, yeah, I'm going to get an abortion. I don't know. Maybe there could be complications. Even if there aren't, is, is that going to haunt me later? Like, did I get an abortion? Because I want to get an abortion. Because they, like, it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah. It's a whole thing. It's, Instead it, of educating listen, it's them. A, it is a, a mind fuck, you know? Yeah, it's like, a mind fuck, like yeah. there's definitely, it's traumatic, right? It, uh, I would assume anything done to a body is traumatic anyway. Um, some people more traumatic than others. Some people who have moral... I, again, I, you know, I but don't even if judge. But even if morally you're like, ah, there's no... Pro even that, uh, you're still taking a risk because from what I've, I've learned, there's still dangers to your reproductive system. It's not a good thing to it's do. It's still a procedure. It's, it's still never a, procedure. a good thing. Let, let's be real. It's no not, procedure. You know, yeah. It's like we don't want procedures. We want to avoid procedures. So the way to avoid procedures is to practice safe sex. You know, there's the morning after pill also. Yeah. There's, there's other things, but you need education on these things. You need accessibility. So for example, you don't use a condom or the condom breaks. You go get your morning after pill. You go to the pharmacy, you ask the pharmacist to give it to you. He'll give it to you. It's like 60 in, bucks. In, okay. But in those places you, or you get them free at youth clinics, uh, you know, but in, in, I'm not a youth. In <laughs> those, right. But in those, <laughs> yeah, yeah. then you can afford the 60 bucks, but in those places, um, you can't get it. That's yeah. the whole thing. It's, that's or what we're going to tell your parents, or we're going to do this, or we're going to. So they're that, setting that you up becomes, for failure. That's right. And then they get mad at you when you fail. But all right. you you just led me down one path. Right. You knew it's exactly. the only path available, and then, and then you get you mad. Have a baby that you're not prepared, ready, want, blah blah blah. And how is that good for anyone? You were against it, so and now you're risk, upset. By the way, there's a, when they're young and pregnant, there is a health risk to the mother. So oh, I believe it. Yeah. I, I, when I was younger, there was still uh, in high school some girls that. I, uh, it would happen and we'd have like 16 year old pregnant pregnancies and all that it wasn't too often but i remember it happening and thinking oh fuck man she's young like this is and i remember some girls would take some time off and then they'd come back and they'd try to finish their schooling and it would cause all kinds of issues for them socially obviously but and we never i was too young to think about it but we never talked about yeah it's true maybe we should have done these classes earlier much earlier because i got my the, the class i'm talking to you about that the nurse had come was uh in either sec four or five yeah, so that's too, I was at the end of high school. Yeah, no, that was when everyone's should, already it banging. It should be in uh, grade <laughs> five. Maybe. Grade five or six. Five, yeah. Grade five for that for that talk, you know? Um, I mean, and, and throughout, throughout, obviously. But see, my dad, I don't remember anybody getting getting pregnant. But then again, they wouldn't your talk generation about also had like glorified certain things, right? Remember the show, the reality show, 16 and Pregnant? I hated that show. And things like that or Teen Mom. Yeah, like, yeah. They, had, they had a bunch of those, right? Why? You know, yeah, how do I mean? you feel about does that psychological? Doesn't it warp a generation where they think, oh, that's what that's what influencers do? I could do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that doesn't seem so bad. You know. Yeah, it is. This is not. This is. T this is not reality. That's why I always hated reality TV. It's not real. It's not real. <laughs> no, those are all mutants normally oh, on there. Man, it's just not. It's far from real. You know.
And you, you think that's probably contributed to people making terrible Listen, decisions? I agree so with you. Many, yeah, and there are so many things that contribute. You know, it's hard to pinpoint what what one is. But listen, I, I it, in the end, we're not going to change what's going on, okay? But what we can do is teach, yeah. right? We can we can maybe encourage parents to use these things as teachable moments, right? So you see, like, for example, when when teen mom was on, on the show or, or 16 and pregnant, I watched, my kid watch, I have girls, and I watched with them to see, like, okay, I want to know what you think about this, you know? And then I remember one of my kids was like, oh, that didn't seem so bad. And I'm like, okay, we need to talk, you know? Like, here's other scenarios. Really? Not so bad? Let's let's play this out a little longer. Yeah. You know, so it, it offered me an opportunity, and then it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. This is not, this would not be cool, <laughs> you That'd know? Right. Especially because now there's so many, back in, the, uh, back in the day, I mean, I don't know how it was, I don't know if it was easy for you when you were trying to get into uh, social work and all that, but back in the day for women, it m- must not have been so easy to do whatever the fuck they wanted in terms of career-wise. So imagine throwing into the mix also a kid. And now that you have these opportunities, it's like open, you could you could become whatever, you could become a fucking astronaut. You're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna handicap myself at fifteen. It's yeah. you just throw another wrench. Yeah, listen, it's never it, look, having kids not easy, but being prepared psychologically, mentally, and with and the support around you that you need is definitely helps to have to, to raise healthy kids and to be healthy yourself and what have you. You want the conditions to be as good as possible, right? It's yeah. uh, but but getting back to what we can do rather than just because we can bitch all day about about what's wrong with our society. Ultimately, what can we do? What can you do? What can I do? You know, we all have like we have a grassroots individual you have to do your stuff and and i always look at it as like we are a pebble right you're a pebble but it creates a ripple effect so you like i always my philosophy is you help one person at a time like you change the world one person at a time right so if i talk to my kid about this my kid will talk to other and then it just goes on and then we can spread that or i talk to a group of parents now those parents are gonna you know start talking to their children and that may prevent this, that, and the other from happening and, and so on and so forth. So if it's about encouraging people to talk about it, my entire career has been about that. Why do I put myself out there and why do I get on radio and TV and do all of this all to talk about sex in this way is to get the conversation going. Just getting people to talk about this is going to help ultimately. Were you always this open? Were you always in your group of friends the, the yes. one that would speak out? Yeah, yes. <laughs> you 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 guessed it. I was the one that my even in high school when we had no access. Right, all I had was uh, encyclopedias because my father sold them, so I had a bunch of encyclopedias at home with anatomy and all this the biology and stuff like that, and I had Cosmopolitan magazine. <sighs> And in Cosmo magazines, it used to be like, oh, you know, want to give a guy the best blowjobs? Here are 10 tips. You yeah, know, yeah. Wanna do- How so- to have sex with a reptile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was. And so that those were my sources. Like, imagine those were my sources. Uh, and then, you know, Dr. Ruth was a big, uh, was an influence as well. And so, I don't know, it was just easy to talk about for me. So I just did. And that's what I always did. It's like. Did you like the original Degrassi show? I, I have to admit, I don't think I ever watched it. Really? Mm-mm. I think as far as Canadian shows go, that was, I was exposed to it young. The original one, not the Drake one before that. Yeah, but I'm still much way yeah, older yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. So not, but I think, because that was the first time where I saw topics, sex, pregnancy, mm-hmm. abortion, death, be discussed. Even, you know, the stuff that was rough around the edges, we weren't even sure of the information yet, but they were even AIDS. It was the only show, and it was Canadian. They wouldn't even do this in the U.S. It was a Canadian show that did it. Was Degrassi? Yeah, good for and them. It expo- that's why I was wondering what your thoughts were on that because I think that helped. Because I'm pretty sure it put a lot of fear in me. A hundred percent, it put the fear of AIDS in me. It put like I was very scared of AIDS because mm-hmm. of that show. Uh, it made me think about abortion, about uh, con- using condoms so you could avoid. So it it kind of sparked that conversation. And it made you think. That's what I like. Is that ultimately I want kids to be critical thinkers of everything, right? So you want them to critically think about, oh, like you, that show said, oh, uh, that made me think about abortion. What do I What do I believe about that? Suddenly you're opening up a conversation, you're looking inside and saying, what do I think about that, right? So you start to be a critical thinker of the stuff that you are now receiving. It's not just 
taken at face value. You're actually thinking about this stuff. So I those shows open up that language. I know a lot of parents probably hated those kinds of shows. But they were good. I thought it was a it, it's a good opportunity to sit with your kids and watch these things. Now, when my kids were that age, it was Glee that was on, and they okay. I think that so, I was too old for Glee. Right, you were yeah. too old, but you know this was when my kids were in that age range. So we would watch it together and be able to talk about all these different um, issues that come up. This generation here, right this minute, it's Sex Education on Netflix. Right, I don't know. Have you watched is that a show? That? Yeah, it's a great it series, British series. Yeah, it's fabulous. So yeah. The Brits are talking about sex. Yeah, I think it's a British series. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What so do the Brits know about sex? Second season. They actually, you'd be surprised statistically, they're uh, higher up than they may not talk about it. So, like you, you think they're upper crust. And I whatever. thought they were prudes. They're not. Mm, yeah, but the ones who appear to be the prudish ones are the ones doing. The stuff in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like David Beckham's way wife. More, yeah, you know, <laughs> way more. So yeah, you should watch that. You oh. now you're gonna you, talk about eye-opening adolescent sexuality. I mean, they cover all kinds of topics, and they don't just cover the topics; they show it. So it, it, it's like Degrassi, like on steroids. But kids, you're right. Kids need that because it sparked a lot of ideas in my head and thoughts. And I, you know what still stayed with me was the the episode where because there was these two twins and one of them got pregnant. And she was going to the abortion clinic and she was thinking about getting an abortion. And there was people outside protesting and saying, this is your baby. You're killing your baby. Yeah. And it made me think I had two competing thoughts in my head. I go, I get it. This is, this is a baby. But so is the, the person about to have it. Right. But I remember thinking and to this day, I have no answer for this. Who are these people? And I still think the same thing. Like if you, all day you're protesting strangers, how do you not have a job? <laughs> like that that's a full t- and I thought about I go who are these people like are yeah. they paid it, it was a hard thing right, to wrap my head around and even now I think about the same thing if you're constantly every day at the same place how are you affording this what do you See, do that's a smart that, that was a smart kid you are because who thinks that right you're thinking like so these are adults what are they there's yeah. an old lady don't they, they have other don't they have other things to do and why yeah. is it so important to them and yeah, yeah those uh <laughs> but you're right it does spark an idea and I think Instead of hiding, look, I don't agree that we should show kids everything, obviously. I, that'll, and, and there's, that'll appro- fuck there's them up. age-appropriate yeah. things, right? Like, you have to know child development and know when it's appropriate to, to expose them to this, that, and the other, even conversation. But I think early high school, teach them, because that's when they start mingling a lot. I, I remember when oh, I got yeah. into high school, that's when you start dancing, you start meeting girls, yeah. going out. Give them something so that they have some weapons on them. They don't make a dumb mistake that a little education could have avoided. Right. And I also feel it's important to talk to girl, like to empower girls to, t- you know, let them know they don't have to have sex if they don't want to, like what it is to be pressured, to speak to boys, how not to pressure. Uh, talk We're editing this part out. We're a full pressure podcast. We're not- <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. Yeah, they got to know, you know that they, they have, have a say. Know, yeah, they have a say. And, and we have to talk about what consent is. Like you, there's not enough talk about that. I also hear from young women who, who experience, let's say, pain uh, or very little pleasure with sex, and they don't, and they think that it's that's the way it should be. That is it's that about, common? It's about his pleasure and not hers. Yeah, sometimes that that happens quite a bit. So, and that's physical, not not well, psychological. Sometimes it's physical and psychological, both or one or the other or what have you. But the reality is, if you don't, if they don't know that they shouldn't be experiencing pain, and you know that, that you can get help for this, and then. What are they doing? They're tolerating pain. They're, you know, going to be turned off sexuality. Like you want to get to this early on, but if you never have a conversation about pleasure in within sex education, then how are you going to get that message across? But it must be, yeah. I I don't know if is is it a difficulty in someone at the let's say at the school board making the decision, or is it a difficulty of filing uh, finding willing educators to go in just for that mix Our, the both, government maybe? in quebec is uh is quite they have a great program by the way it's it's they have there's like a huge document of everything that should be discussed at every grade level it's a beautiful document okay we do it so right here we do have it here we have we have the skeleton of of a comprehensive sex education we, i think we run into problems when it comes to how to run it across the board in the same way. Because up till now, it's really been, even though the course is compulsory, in other words, we have to teach sex ed, who teaches it is not compulsory. 
So it's about like which teachers are comfortable, which ones are not. You don't want to be taught sex ed from a teacher who's uncomfortable with talking about it. Could you imagine? Like you'd be trying to embarrass your teacher and you'd get nothing out of it. Like it would, that would just be a joke to you. So like I'm comfortable talking about it. I'm not a shy guy, but I can't see myself telling little girls uh, about vaginas and penises. I'm not the guy. Like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> this Even is, if you were a teacher in school, like, right? This isn't exactly. for me. Get someone else. So, but you see, the way I see it, like if you were ask me what my, my wish is or my ideal is, is Quebec has a bunch of sexologists who are graduates of like uh, UCAM sexology department. Hire them and every school should have one. Like have a sexologist that go that is trained in teaching sexual wellness, sexual health, and that's it. Like don't make it up to the don't. The, our teachers have enough to do, and adding them more more pressure and more discomfort and more and more and more is just turning people off. So let's like let's take the money and let's hire you know maybe one sex educator per I don't know how many schools, and that's their job. That I like way, that idea. You know, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. So I don't. I'm not sure why we're not there yet, but it's a no-brainer to me. I, I like that because I'm I'm all for get the the pro, get the person who's great at that job, like sports. Get the best person for that position. Yeah, that's how I think politics should be, but it never is. It's just who's your friend. But get the Forget best person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you ever got? You ever like? Uh, we're big into politics. No, I hate. You politicians. know what? I hate. It, it's really tough. The only time I got into it. I don't get myself in trouble here, but <laughs> but when Trump came into power, his personality fascinated me. Yeah, me too. So, so I, <laughs> Everyone, I my I think. husband was like, oh my God, I've never seen you so involved in politics. I said, it's not politics, it's, it's human behavior. Yeah. I, I, I'm a, a human behavior scientist. So for me, the study of him, and I couldn't get enough of like, how? how how does this brain work? You know, like and that, Trump that's the was only thing. The best president. I'm not saying other people are saying it. other people say it, that he's the best. He's probably the best president. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Every time he would want to compliment himself, other people say it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Everyone's saying, say it. I, "Oh my god!" Right. <laughs> There's, you know, when we talk about narcissistic personality disorders, and th- again, I'm not diagnosing anything. No, no, I didn't I'm even looking at what everybody else has said, and other psychiatrists have said. There's books that have been written on it. I'm in the middle of reading. Um, the last, uh, his last, uh, I don't remember what book it is. The one that was just written about his last year in politics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just I want him to write a book. I want to read something from the source. He, he's not going to read. He's not gonna he, write. He's he, a, he gets ghostwriters. He, yeah, be- he didn't even write his last book. Come on. Somebody else wrote it yeah, for but him. They, but a lot of people like that do that. They're like, ah, let me dictate to you. So uh, even chicks, chicks love me. Make that poetic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except that he doesn't, it's not even a dictation. He, the guy, the guy follows him around and just uh, decides uh, and just... writes it, and then passes it off, and uh, yeah, like ghost, they ghost write. They don't. It's not a. They, oh, it's not, not a even... dictation of. Here are my words and and whatever. Oh fuck, that's extra lazy. Yeah, but I like. I, I thought he was fascinating, and I prefer Paul. I would rather have politicians like him because of the no filter. I want to know what you're thinking, even if it's stupid. Yeah, that, that's a I want to know because there was never any guessing games with him. He would say anything. He, he, he's like, I don't like this guy. This guy's a dummy. I'd rather that than this whole, <laughs> I say one thing and then I do the opposite. Because right. then you never know where you stand. You're like, wait, did we do that as a country? I thought we were against it. No, no, we say we're against it, but really we do this. With him, at least everything was out in the open. It was dumb, but it was out so much fun. the open, fun. the problem is, is when there's a lot of untruths. <laughs> uh, yeah. There was so stuff that was completely like, made up, yeah. It's like, I don't know what to do with all that. You That's know? what made him amazing. He was the first ever, pre- he was the president of the most powerful country on the planet. And you could tweet him and there's a chance he replies with, go fuck your mother. It was, <laughs> we were living in the best timeline and we didn't know how good we had it. We got upset. <laughs> we banned him. <laughs> was but the then try to figure out the truth. Try to go figure out what's real they never, and what's They never not. tell the truth. They never tell the truth. I, I've, so just assume they don't. I assume they all lie because sooner or later I, f- I find the lie. Like, you son of a bitch, you had me. So now I just assume, because I don't even think they have, and I don't mean in a conspiracy way, but I can't see how real power exists in our political leaders when every decision they're made, that they make that's big is always lobbied by either a foreign yeah, government that, that needs yeah. something, uh, a big company, pharmaceuticals, oil. Lobby, a gun lobby. Yeah. Lo- There's all these lobbies. Like, you know what? Even, it, like, I noticed this with Obama, because when he got in, when he was talking about change, he looked very different than after the eight years. And you could tell after a couple of months, he started to look defeated. 
because he had all these plans and then he got in like, yeah, you don't he, he make realized, these decisions. Right. He realized he had no power. Yeah. It's like realizing how powerless you actually are. Probably. Like, why did I go through yeah. this? I can't, cha- no. you can't change anything. Just shut up, smile. And cause <laughs> be the face. Be the face because that's, that's, that's all you end up being. So that's why at least Trump, I was like, you know what? We got some entertainment. For four years, I got the craziest tweets. I, I gotta say, entertainment, yes, yes. Frustration too, but anyway, it was an interesting study. As a psychologist, I found it fascinating. What did you think? Like as a psychologist, what was your what was your diagnosis? Not of him, but of society as a whole. Like, is this good for society? Bad? I, for I felt it was. I felt he was a he did really well as a cult leader. Yeah, <laughs> I felt that he responded well. Like he. Like if you look at cult psychology, whatever, you're talking about sometimes a vulnerable population who needed to believe in something and this That's was... Isn't it always like that? Like yeah, even with Biden yeah, now, yeah. it's this, everyone's culty. Uh, maybe politics is like that anyway, but I think with him it was even more. And I think people, you're right, bought into it because he was no filter. He had... Didn't really have much class, you know, not much class. Like, you know, he kind of represented your everyday... Joe, except that he was a billionaire. Like, he wasn't your everyday Joe. So I think there was like a, how did people not see that? That he, he's, oh, not, people, he's not like you. He's not like you, nor does he even think you're on the same level as him. People are willing to suspend whatever the hell logic they have, whatever common sense they have, because with politicians, this is why I hate politicians. It feels like when, the way it is, is if you support a party or if you support a politician, you have to always agree with whatever they say. And, like, oh, I bought into it. Now I have to say yes. So even if they say something stupid, contradictory, something against your best interest, it's like you have to back them up. And I've noticed this. Trump, it was happening. Mm-hmm. Biden, it's happening. You're going against your own interests right. just because you're like, well, I supported this guy, this woman, so now I have to agree with everything. You don't have to agree. You're an individual human being. You could be like, I like this. This is dumb. You can say that. What's yeah. the problem with but saying that? I guess that? there's like, you know, the brain is like cognitive dissonance a little bit. You know, it's like... If I, I, if I support this, but I don't support that, how do I make sense of it? And so you get into this, uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, I can tell you there were some policies I absolutely supported, uh, you know. Some yeah, because you're stuff. a logical person. But you're like, okay, I can take this. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bat. I don't like him, but I, I don't like his personality. But that, I, anyway, I'm not American. I don't I, Yeah, but I'm, ta- I'm, I'm. Anymore, you know, it's like. <laughs> but that's because we're, we're not, we're not black and white. There's so much gray. There's so much nuance to humanity, especially to politics. There's, it's so complicated. There's this whole, I have to agree with everything. It gets, for me, it gets culty. That's why I'm glad to use the yeah. word. It gets culty and that I hate. Right. Right. I thought you liked this guy. Or I thought you hate the, Yeah, I hate this guy, let's say. But that policy, of course it fucking makes sense. Let's right. go for it or anything. Right. But you can't, you, for, we had a, like a bunch of years now, four or five years that you couldn't do that. You had to either be all in or out oh, completely. Yeah, I hate yeah. that. Yeah, that which isn't. It's not real, right? No, it's, it's not like real. It doesn't make it. Then it makes it culty. Yeah. At that point, you're right. Have you ever been a religious person when you were young, or? No, I think I'm. Uh, I'm traditional, and you know, I think I'm a more a, a spiritual person than uh, than a religious. And an organized person. religion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we're. I was raised in the Jewish faith. I was, uh, you know, we we did we celebrated the regular holidays but we weren't like a we weren't a, like an overly religious family but uh, but still uh, traditions mattered tradition matters to traditions me too yeah tradition a lot so you know we had our tra- that that was even more for my parents it was about traditions and family and like the values were were were, were there and so since you've dealt with so many people throughout the years and mostly they'll come to you for problems sex related but issues so you always see people at their not their most vulnerable, vulnerable yeah. but their most enigmatic state. They're like, fuck, I need help. Throw me a lifeline here. What can I do? Did it make you change your perception of humanity, of people? Do you end up seeing all people like, oh, this guy's got a problem. Let me try to fix it. Like you end up being the plumber. Like you want to fix everything because that's what you're used to. Did you see yourself change throughout the years? Um, hmm. No, although I've always been somebody who is more solution focused. So as a therapist, it's like, I maybe I got more solution focused as the, the, the years went on thinking like, you know, people come to you, they, they want like, they want a solution to their problems. They don't want to spend the next five years in therapy. Therapy is a luxury. Yeah. It's expensive. Like, you know, let's, I want to address what they want to address. So they come in, they say, here's my problem. 
and we do an you know assessment, we figure out what the problem is, and then we look at, okay, how are we going to, what's our objectives, and how are we going to fix this? Now, some problems take a lot longer because they're more deep-rooted, right? It depends where the, something comes from. If it's like a sex problem that can be dealt with with education, they're in and out. Like, they, in, they come for one session, I never see them again. You know, and then you have... And like, you like that because I helped, it's done. Yeah, like, yeah. but I love doing the other stuff too because I love the, the depth of the work and I love to see, like, I believe inherently people are strong. We have strengths we're not even aware of. So my job is to bring out the strength that you have to deal with life's issues, you know, with and, and I give you that that support and take you along along that route. So I believe people are very strong. We're, we're very strong. Look, look at what humans put up with. Yeah. Look at what, like I look at family members I know who have gone through the Holocaust and who come out and are successful and, and still are able to be happy. You know, you can't, you, yeah. you, you lose your entire family, but you're still capable to be happy. Yeah. How, how do people do that? You know, so that's a fascinating thing is how, how resilient we are, how truly resilient we are. And I think we forget as sometimes we, when we're in pain, we forget that we have that resilience to get through things. And we just, we need the support and the validation and, and the help to show us where our strengths are sometimes. And sometimes we don't have it around us. So we, you know, we can get it on the outside and, and that's good. And that's what, that's what I like to focus on. So focus, I, I, I like to focus on the strengths. I don't want to just hear people in my office complain and complain and complain and complain. So you can complain all you want, but ultimately what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Let's try to fix you know, this. Like, what are we going to do? Let's move, let's go from a, a, a like a different, like I, I, I hear you. I'm compassionate. Like I, I, I empathize with your pain and we can, re- you can repeat this every time and I'll, you know, you want me to take your money to hear that, those complaints or do we do something different? How, what, what was, I, I, I want to find out when you started your clinic, mm-hmm. H- how was that? Like, when did you decide, all right, I'm doing this on my own. I, I want to know about that adventure. I, so I like I've, the creation of that. So I've always been on my own. So, um, when I, so I, I was a social worker first and I worked for, uh, like a social work organization. I worked in youth protection. Okay. That was a freaking eye opening. Okay. So that a lot was of shit that happens. two years of working in youth protection where I was involved in child pornography cases, like, you know, get oh, going shit. into homes and taking kids out who were involved in child pornography, child sexual abuse. I would walk into drug dens. I had, you know, a gun held to, you know, my head <laughs> for going in. It was rough. I used to work with the police. We, there used to be this uh, squad called the morality squad in Montreal, yeah, at the time, and and I used to go on stakeouts. <laughs> oh, I, so it so was, you saw the underbelly. I saw, I saw the underbelly. Yeah, I saw the real. I was they they threw me in there because I I was just that gutsy kind of like yeah I want to I want that I want to do it. You Here, know? take this combat knife I, and get yeah, in there, Lori. <laughs> I want to do it. I was fearless then. I think I developed way more fears later. Uh, and then uh, after two years of that, which was heavy, heavy work, I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school for a master's degree. And then, um, and, and I specialized in sex therapy. At that time, I did a two-year training program. So I was doing kind of two things at once, the master's and a training program. Uh, and I did those two things. Never finished that master's because I went on to do another master's in psychology this time. So I went from bat- social work to psychology. And then, um, but all of that time, while I, I was still a clinical social worker, so I could I could work. I had a private practice. I was working with mostly sexual abuse survivors. I was working at the clinic, uh, at the sex clinic. Um, I was running groups for trans people going through the transition process. Oh shit! For years. Um, How was that? It was fascinating. I it was absolutely fascinating. Were they getting work. a lot of harassment? No, it, uh, yeah, yes. I mean, it what, what it's not an. It, believe me, it was not an easy life for these people. But I can't it imagine. Was, uh, yeah, it was at that time. We're talking about twenty five years ago or something. Yeah, twenty five years ago. So I was doing running groups to help them with the transition process, and they, they were support groups and and things like that. So, uh, and then I I never worked for anybody after that. I worked only for myself in terms of a clinician. I never worked for anybody. I liked I liked the. Uh, 
the autonomy. I worked for a little bit, you know, contract work for like, um, while I was in school actually doing a PhD, I used to do uh, for an employee assistance program. I used to do their evaluations and things like that. So anything that offered that flexibility. And uh, so I always, I always stayed as a, you know, ind- independent clinician. I like that. I, I'm, I'm an independent guy too. I like doing things my way. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to, I didn't want to depend, I, you know, I didn't, for me, it was like, I wanted to make my schedule. I wanted to have kids my way. I wanted to be able, you know, I mean, I used to literally like, uh, you know, breastfeed my kid, leave the kid at home with the nanny, run off to do four hours of, of patients, run back home, breastfeed again, <laughs> play with the kid, go back, you know, and I would just do this back and forth all the time. So I liked having that flexibility. Yeah, you, you especially can't do that when you're working on someone else's schedule when they no. expect something else from you. Exactly. And exactly. now, all your links are in the description already. But where, what do you want to let people know, like so they can hear the podcast if they want to come see you? Can people book appointments to come see you? Yes, um, you might have to wait a little bit, but yes. Um, so, okay, the the best way to get in touch with me is through my website, which is drlaurie.com, uh, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. But on Link there, in the description, very easy, just click on it. Don't wonderful. think too much. Don't think too much, right? So um, I also wrote a book. Uh, called the Sex Bible for people over fifty. So if you are fifty plus and you want to know what changes, or maybe you're in your forties, you want to know what changes are coming physically and what you could do about it. It's a very um, how-to kind of book. So it gives you like the problem but a solution. Oh, so, yeah, it's got pictures. So and uh, I'm curious, the problem. So these are, I guess, common problems that people in the age range would come and tell you. That's ah, right, okay. like with menopause or male, you know, andropause or what's andropause. It's like the equivalent of the male, like menopause in women, but I was unaware of this. <laughs> I was no one told me <laughs> that my period was going right. to stop someday. What's yeah. going on? Not your period, but <laughs> <laughs> but your we call it androgen deficiency syndrome. So when not all men go through it, but some men um, have um, stopped producing uh, testosterone and don't produce much testosterone. This has an effect on their muscles, their their mood, their and this is just genetic drive. It, I, we don't know why some why it happens in some men doesn't happen in other men. Whereas women, all women go through menopause, but not all men go through andropause. And is this a new phenomenon, or as far as we know, it's always been happening? Yeah, oh, it's always just, been happening. We, we just do, never we just talk just about don't it. Really talk about it? Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. Maybe we could do another show on that. Yeah, we have to. <laughs> oh, I'm actually going to connect you with. Uh, so I got a couple of friends who uh, there's he, a urologist, Doctor uh, Andrew Steinberg. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Uh, he's got that show. Uh, have the balls to talk about it. Yeah. Have yeah. you done that show? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, you got a show. They yeah, would love to have fun. you on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they produce a very, very nice show. They're also starting a new podcast. Uh, they would, I think. Yeah, you and a urologist too, and he's yeah. yeah. That would be, be fun. good. Yeah, yeah. So I'll connect no, with that, I, but yeah, absolutely. We're gonna definitely do another episode, uh, and I, I, I we could do a whole one on this. I, I didn't even know about it. I'm, I guarantee you, ninety nine percent of my, if not a hundred percent of my viewers and listeners have not heard about it. We can we we should do a show just on the aging male. Yeah, you know, like just what happens to men as they age, and believe it or not, men start to age much earlier than women in many ways. So, but it's just not across the board, but. Oftentimes, men panic when they when they look at themselves. And say, "Wow, I, I, something's changed from like five years ago, or whatever." And they're like, "What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me?" And sometimes it's just normal age age related changes. You don't have to panic about. You know, what I'm scared of. I'm scared of aging. I guess because I still feel youthful. Um, but I'm looking at if I would ever need it, doing what Joe Rogan does. He does that testosterone replacement therapy or whatever. Just be careful with that. That's the only thing. Like you have to, you have to be tested properly. You got to know what you're taking because it has all what the can risk, that do to all me? the risk benefits. Well, that's where you can we can get an endocrinologist to talk about that or whatever. But again, like it has its risks, like any hormone replacement. So if you don't need it, in other words, if your testosterone levels are normal and you take that you can be asking for trouble. So you have to, like, playing with hormones is a very complicated uh, issue. You know, oh, and I'm not a medical yeah. doctor, so I don't want to, like, pronounce myself on any of those things. But I just, we just did a podcast with a guy who is, uh, who talks about these, the hormone changes and hormones effect on sexuality. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. So people can tune into uh, Passion with Dr. Lori. Do you uh, think people should keep exercising? Like even as they get older, if oh they're hips. Yes. Good. Are you kidding? I just yeah. had my, bo- I, I was boxing this morning. 
goddamn so right. I'm almost sixty years old, and you don't look you know, sixty. Well, is it? It's because the exercise and I don't know. I think <laughs> I think genetics. I don't know. I think genetics play a part, but I, 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 from what I've seen from the people around me, the people that are older and younger, whoever consistently exercises and eats right, generally yeah. doesn't ever look their fucking age. Well, I am a vegan for the last five years. There you go. You eating right? <laughs> and uh, I've always I, I've always done some form of exercise, but something I was more passionate about. Like I used to do karate, uh, kickboxing. Now I just do straight up boxing. You know, things. I feel like that. it's like it's telling your body, hey, it's I'm not done yet. Oh, I'm Stop definitely aging. not done. Like yeah. I, I feel young in my brain, and and I just I want to I want to just keep healthy. I you know I don't know I don't I don't see why I wouldn't. Because <laughs> we had this, you know, people after a while, like, ah, I'm told for that. I'm told for no, this. No, I don't believe like, in that. You're not really, if you continue with a good, positive mentality, you exercise, you eat right, you're going to stay youthful. And people say that about sex all the time. I'm too old people for sex. Say that, yeah, they say, ah, I'm giving up on, like, I I'm hear that I'm giving up lot. on sex? It's like, I'm too old already. I'm I'm 60. Who cares? Like, I don't have to. Why are you giving up on pleasure? I always say that. Like, why are you giving up on what your body can do for you, which is <laughs> give you pleasure? Yeah, it depends on how old the person you're trying to have sex with. You could be too old, people. Remember that. So we're not advocating for I don't think you can be too well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We're talking about consenting yeah, adults yeah. here. We're talking about consenting adults. But That's right. Dr. Lori, it was a, it was a pleasure. Oh, thank uh, you so I can't much. wait to have you back on. And we're going to have, now that we know each other, we're going to have a specific topic sure. to dissect. Because uh, you made me curious. So I'm sure I'm going to get it in the comments of, why didn't you let it continue on that? What the fuck? What's happening to me? <laughs> we can talk all day, right? Yeah. That's a reality. <laughs> Links are in the description. Uh, there's books available, podcasts available. You can even book an appointment with the doctor. Thank you guys for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.